0: Peter, who is on his knees in prayer in times of great adversity, in times of uh, opposition. Uh, But he wasn't the first to discover the power of that position and the importance of doing that when opposition comes into our life. Uh, Long before that, we get in the scripture the experience uh, of Joshua, who we've been focusing focusing on in these weeks. And uh, today, as we look at Joshua, uh, we'll look at the incredible importance and the power uh, that prayer played in his life. And as we do that, um, know that we're, we're only going to be able to really look at one instance. Uh, it's an extraordinary place, uh, an extraordinary experience of prayer in Joshua's life. But just know that that um, there, in Joshua's life, as in Lincoln's life, uh, you know, we know that prayer was just an incredible um, foundation uh, for them. Uh, And it's an incredible foundation, especially when you you look at both of those leaders and understand the conflict uh, that they were embroiled in, right? That they were embroiled in times of just great uh, opposition. Uh, When we start thinking about Joshua or even when we think about ourselves, it it shouldn't be surprising to us that God's people are going to experience periods of opposition, right? Um, Joshua did. Lincoln did. Uh, we will. I mean, it's just part of our walk in a broken world that we're going to have experiences of just great difficulty and great opposition that come up against us. Uh, for Joshua, it looked like this. It's out of the 10th chapter of Joshua. So if you've got your Bibles with you, we spent a lot of time today in, in Joshua 10. So that's where you want to you want to flip to. OK, let me just set the stage of what's happening. Joshua and the people of Israel have. Have uh, moved into the promised land. They have uh, conquered uh, Jericho. You know, the walls have fallen. Uh, They have finally conquered the city of Ai. And so news is traveling about this people who have come into the land and are conquering uh, these cities. And they're kind of taking them one at a time, right? As they came in, uh, the Gibeonites uh, tricked them. We're going to look at that at a later time uh, looking at Joshua another week here but the Gibeonites tricked them into a treaty and the treaty was you know basically this this uh, peace treaty between the two nations and that they would live together and they would support one another, and be allies uh, to one another well the other kings in the region heard about the treaty got a little upset about that uh, and it says in uh, verse 5 so these five Amorite kings combined their armies for a united attack and they moved all their troops into place and attacked Gibeon. So here's what's going on. Joshua moves in. The Gibeonites trick him. He makes a treaty. They're now allies. Five other kings get together and say, this is not good. So they pool their forces, and then they come up against the Gibeonites. They don't, they don't attack Joshua straightforward. They come up against his new ally. Now, there's a couple of significant things, I think, there. Number one is, look at the overwhelming force that is being amassed against the Gibeonites and ultimately, therefore, Joshua. Notice how many armies have now collected together to go fight against uh, the Gibeonites and Joshua? The answer is five. So five now are. Com- this is an overwhelming force. Up until this time, the people of God have moved into, into the land, the promised land, and they've been taken it one army at a time, right? One city at a time, one opposition at a time. Now, we have the experience of overwhelming opposition. Five kings come together, pool their forces, and it's overwhelming opposition. I think there's a simple lesson there. Number one, obviously, we should expect opposition in our lives, right? If if you're walking with Christ, you should just anticipate that opposition is going to come up against you. If you've been hanging out at Christ's church and your life's been moving in a different direction and and you've been getting closer to to Christ and you've been going through life change, I mean, you can just expect that opposition is going to come up against you because the evil one does not want to let you go. I mean, that's just the way it is. The opposition comes up against. as God claims more territory in our lives, opposition comes up against us. And, and that opposition won't always be opposition that just comes straight at us. right? These five kings aren't going pulling their resources and going straight at Joshua, right? What are they doing? They're attacking the new ally. They're, they're attacking a weak place. They know the Gibeonites. They're attacking a group they think they can defeat and therefore not uh, have a blow against Joshua and his people. That's the way it works. Well, when the evil one comes up against you, he doesn't come up against you in just kind of blatant, straightforward stuff. He always attacks you in other places. He always attacks you in in weaknesses, and in the little things that seem, oh, well, you know, that's not important. Just those little disobediences, those those little things where you're not walking with Christ yet. And he he attacks you in those places and tries to overwhelm you. I mean, the truth for us is, like Joshua, we should not be surprised that we're going to face opposition in our life. So Joshua faces uh, the opposition. Paul reminds us of this in Ephesians 6. He says, For we're not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Therefore, put on every piece of God's armor so you'll be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then after the battle, you will stand and be standing firm. Right? So we should expect and we need to employ all the resources we can to go up and against the opposition. So what happens to Joshua? Joshua responds to this attack and to the appeal of his ally, the Gibeonites. And it says in verse 7, So Joshua and his entire army, including his best warriors, left Gilgal and set out for Gibeon. Do not be afraid of them, the Lord said to Joshua, for I have given you victory over them. Not a single one of them will be able to stand up to you. This is so interesting, isn't it? Joshua now responds to this this overwhelming force attacking the Gibeonites he responds and is willing to go and engage the enemy but notice the foundation of his willingness he is willing to go and engage the enemy because God has already given him a specific promise what's the promise Joshua you will attain victory Before he goes into battle, before he even mounts and rallies the troops, God has already spoken to him and said, listen, here's the deal. Joshua, you will have victory. There's a promise there. And he says, not only that, not a single one of them will be able to stand up against you. Remember that as we go further down the road here. So God gives Joshua this incredible promise. And Joshua is ready to enter into the battle and go against the opposition. As overwhelming as it, it seems why cuz he knows the promise you see this is a great lesson for us isn't it we can go up against the opposition how can you go up against the opposition in your life because it seems so difficult it seems so overwhelming it seems so impossible because if you're a Christ follower God has spoken promises over your life those promises are sure And, and Joshua receives a promise and he acts based on the promise God is saying, Joshua, you can do this because you're going to get the victory. And and that's what God says to us. He says, listen, Jesus has already died. He has rose again. He's proven the victory. It's already a done deal. You should live in the promise. Just live in the promise. Opposition is going to come up against you. But the victory is already yours. You don't have to worry. The victory is already yours. So face the opposition. Joshua faces the opposition. Now, what's interesting is you you need to get a little geography and background on this thing in in the way he faces the opposition, okay? It's kind of captured in a simple verse in verse 9. It says, Joshua traveled all night from Gilgal and took the Amorite army uh, by surprise. So remember that. He travels how long? All night, all right? Now, here's what you need to know. Over here is Gilgal over here is Gibeon. So normally, just walking at a regular pace to go from Gilgal to Gibeon would take roughly three, three and a half days. Three, three and a half days. How long did they take to make it? One night. Now, you know this gray stuff here? Right. This isn't a topographical map, but it's trying to give you the topography of the experience. Guess which way his troops are going. I don't mean north, south, east, west. I mean, they're going uphill the whole way. So when you're in opposition, you're going to feel like you're going which way? Like it's an uphill battle all the time, all the way, right? Right. And they do it how long? In one night. What should take three, three and a half days, what is going uphill, they accomplish it all night. Now think about this. If you're Joshua, why would you do that? Why would you, with your warriors, knowing that you're going up against an overwhelming force, five armies, An overwhelming force. Why would you push your troops so that you make a trip that should take three days and is going uphill the whole way, and you do it in one night, guaranteeing that when you get to the battlefield, how are your troops going to feel? (laughs) Right? Exhausted. Why would he do that? Because he absolutely knew God already guaranteed the victory. It didn't matter how his troops felt. The victory was absolutely already his. You see, when you have opposition in your life, it's going to feel like you're just treading, going uphill. And it's going to feel like an overwhelming force. But the victory is already yours. If Christ is working in your life, the victory is already yours. And so Joshua makes that trip in one night, and he is prepared to go up against this overwhelming force because he believes in an overwhelming, incredible, big God. See, Joshua understands this isn't just any moment. This big opposition, this overwhelming force that is in front of him is an incredible opportunity for a big God. Think about this. Up until now, the people of God have gone in and they've taken it one city at a time, right? They took Jericho and then they took Ai. What is the opportunity in this moment? They can take out five armies in one time. That's not opposition. That's overwhelming force. That's opportunity. That's opportunity. You see, Joshua understands that God is so big that God has created an opportunity here. Here is an opportunity for Joshua to have victory over five armies at once. Not one city at a time and 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 one city at a time. time, But five, one blow, one battle, one victory. Joshua doesn't look at it as overwhelming force of opposition, but overwhelming opportunity for a big God. And God delivers. Look what God does, starting in verse 10. It says, The Lord threw them, the opposition, threw them into a panic, and the Israelites slaughtered great numbers of them at Gibeon. Then the Israelites chased the enemy along the road to Beth Horon, killing them all along the way. To Azekah and Machaiah. So they go in, and who's causing all the confusion? The Lord's working. There's a surprise attack. There's confusion in the camp. The Israelites have victory starting from the very beginning. And then God gets involved and does even more in a supernatural way. It says, as the Amorites retreated down the road to Beth Horon, the Lord destroyed them with a terrible hailstorm from heaven. They continued until they reached Ezekiah. The hail killed more of the enemy than the Israelites killed with the sword. How incredible was God working in this battle? He was doing supernatural stuff on behalf of his people. Not only did he create the confusion, but now he sends a hailstorm. He does a supernatural act in order to guarantee his people will win this victory. And notice it says... The hail, the hailstorm killed more people than the sword itself. You see, this is an incredible opportunity for an incredibly big God. And if we'd stop there, we would say, that's pretty dang awesome, isn't it? That's pretty dang awesome. What an incredible God we have to fight in that way, in a supernatural way, on behalf of his people. And if he did it then, he's willing to do it now. And that would be an incredible lesson. But it doesn't stop there. The experience doesn't end there. Instead, we now have Joshua offering an incredibly big prayer. An incredibly big prayer. Joshua sees how the battle is going and he realizes the opportunity of this moment and so he is willing to get on his knees in the face of the opposition and ask God for something absolutely extraordinary. Lincoln said that's exactly what we should do. That we should get on our knees when we're at that place when we understand it is beyond ourselves. Just like Joshua, Lincoln understood the same thing. He says, I've been driven many times to my knees by the overwhelming conviction that I had nowhere else to go. My own wisdom and that of all about me seemed insufficient for the day. Lincoln, Joshua, the same thing. They understand the need for an incredible God to do a supernatural thing. For Joshua, it looked like this. He gets on his knees. He says, on the day the Lord gave the Israelites victory over the Amorites joshua prayed he prayed to the lord in front of all the people of israel so this isn't just a safe backroom prayer that nobody else knows about in front of everybody joshua prays let the sun stand still over gibeon and the moon over the valley of a what do you pray imagine you're the guy standing next to him okay you're the person standing next to him and you hear joshua going lord I need you to do a big thing. Would you just make the sun stand still and the moon not come out because I need more time? You're the guy next to him. What do you say? Seriously. <laughs> you gotta be kidding me. You're at, really? <laughs> I mean, that is totally beyond the realm of comprehension, isn't it? I mean, Joshua, what are you asking for, man? Get real. And the answer, so, the sun stood still, and the mood stayed in its place until the nation of Israel had defeated its enemies. God answers the prayer and gives Joshua the extraordinarily big prayer that he asked for. Now. Folks that read the Bible read this and, and they come up with all kinds of solutions of how this happened or, or how it didn't happen or whatever. But the reality is if you do some, do some research, go home and Google this thing. If you do some research on this thing, it seems that there's historical basis uh, for the reality of this day. When there was an extra day added into the calendar. Uh, in, in, uh, the Chinese record this experience. Uh, the Greeks record this experience. The Babylonians record this experience. Uh, there's a whole host. The, the Incas record an experience of, a, of an extra day where the sun, you know, didn't go down or, in the, or the moon come out. I mean, there's multiple cultures who record this incredible experience of just the sun staying out and the moon not coming out, just time standing still. And so God seems to have suspended the laws that He created on behalf of his people. Now, it says then, uh, Jeremiah 32 reminds us that as, as difficult as it may seem to grab this, it's not bigger than our God. Right? God can do these kinds of things. But what, what's the takeaway? What's the lesson for us? Well, think about the prayers you've offered recently. Are you praying to a little God or a big God? I mean, this is a pretty big prayer. This is a pretty big ask, don't you think? I mean, holy cow, this is a pretty big ask. And yet Joshua receives exactly what he asked for, and he prays it knowing God can accomplish it. He prays a big prayer, knowing that God is absolutely capable of doing exactly what he asked for. That is a huge challenge to us, isn't it? That that if we take prayer seriously, are are we praying in a way that understands the incredible nature and vastness and power of God? Or do we pray just little prayers? I mean, Joshua's invitation to us today is to go ahead and pray big prayers. The New Testament gives us the invitation to use all the weapons. It says, we use God's mighty weapons, not worldly weapons, to knock down the strongholds of human reasoning and destroy their arguments. Paul's saying, listen, you've got to use everything and ask for God to do big things in your life. Now you may hear that and you say, well, okay, well, I've been asking for some big things, but God's not delivering. How come? Here's the deal. Joshua's big prayer is a ginormous big prayer, but it's a prayer that's consistent with God's promises and God's desire. If you look at Joshua again, it says, There has never been a day like this one before or since when the Lord answered such a prayer. Surely the Lord fought for Israel that day. What is the conclusion? Surely the Lord fought for Israel that day. Why did God answer Joshua's pray, prayer and say, Yeah, I can do that? Because it was absolutely consistent with what God's promise was. Remember what did God promise Joshua before he even left Gilgal? He'd receive victory and not even a single one of them would be able to stand. Remember that? Whoa! Whoa! What he prayed for was absolutely consistent with what God's promise was. What he prayed for was absolutely consistent with, with God's will and what God's desire was for the outcome. What he prayed for was totally inside the will of a big God and a big God is willing to deliver on big prayers when you pray inside the will of a big God that's the way it works so if you're gonna pray pray big absolutely pray big but pray inside the desire promises and the will of a big God so if you wanna pray for your business don't just pray for your business say Lord I just need my business to succeed Pray big. Lord, you need to take over my business. You need to take over my business so my business can exceed and advance and be a witness. So my business can provide for your kingdom. So my business can have employees who understand I follow you. And I can provide for them not only in in their provision, but they can understand the power of God in my life. Lord, take over my business. Do you understand the difference? Pray big prayers. I mean, pray over your marriage, but don't just pray, Lord, please make it work out that we have a reasonably good marriage. Pray big prayers. Lord, I want you to take over my marriage because I want our marriage to be the most awesome marriage that's ever been on the face of the earth because I want our marriage to be an absolute witness to everybody that knows us of the power that you have in our life. And besides that, I'm ready to be a mentor of another young couple to tell them the power of you in our relationship. That's a big prayer. Don't just pray over your kids. Lord, just please make my kids more compliant. (laughs) Right? That's a little prayer. Pray big prayers. Lord, take over the heart and life of my children and use them for your kingdom in whatever way you choose and bless them according to your purpose that their life would make a difference for the kingdom of heaven. That's a big prayer. That's what Joshua prayed. He was praying a big prayer that was absolutely consistent with the desires and the purposes of God. And God said, yes. See, there was another guy that prayed a big prayer. There was another guy. He prayed a really big prayer. He was in this garden and he was sweating bullets and blood. And he said, God, if it's, if, if it's possible, would you let this cup pass me by? And God said, no. No. Why would you say no? Because it was outside the will and the desire and the promise. And so Jesus went to the cross because that was his will and his desire and his promise. See, Jesus prayed a big prayer. But God said no. God said no. Why would you say no? Because he thought much more of you. Because he thought much more of your life because he knows what a difference it can be if you start living your life absolutely, totally surrendered to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and you start praying big prayers and you start living that way. And he is ready to stop the sun and the moon if it's inside his will and desire for you. We have a big God. And the invitation of Joshua is to pray big prayers. Just go ahead and pray big prayers. And you go to the New Testament and we get that affirmation of just praying those prayers that are inside His will. It says, and this is the confidence, the assurance, the privilege of boldness which we have in Him. We are sure that if we ask anything, make any request according to His will in agreement with His own plan, He listens to and hears us. And if since we positively know that He listens to us in whatever we ask. We also know with settled and absolute knowledge that we have granted us as our present possession the requests made to Him. We have a big God. We can pray big prayers. Joshua gives us the incredible example. The challenge for us, understand, you're going to face opposition. The more territory that Christ takes over in your life, you're going to face opposition. It's going to come at you from... from, uh, you know, even the smallest places where you haven't yielded yet to Christ, it, it's going to come at you in those kind of places. It's going to seem overwhelming. It's going to seem uphill. But the promise is already spoken over your life. The promise is already spoken over your life. So get on your knees and pray big prayers. And just surrender yourself like Joshua and say, God, just just help me do whatever it is that's inside your will and your desire and make it big. Make it big. And we have the privilege of being to be able to call in his name and know the victory. The people of God experienced an incredible victory and wiped out five armies in one day. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much that you are such an incredible God. And there are so many things that uh, are going on in our